Welcome to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Chase, and I'm here with my co-host, Lily. Hello. We are a supernatural horror podcast where we tell each other crazy, scary stories that are allegedly true <laughs> and often have a few drinks along the way to make it a little bit more fun. I see Lily has a glass of, of rum <laughs> in front of her. She, I simply rum. And it's just straight because she's going hard today. Uh, excuse me. There was ice in here at some point. <laughs> So it's diluted now. But it's a little diluted, yeah. But you're like, the good. next one won't have any worthless ice to ruin my drink. <laughs> also, I think I said diluted, not diluted. So it's a diluted drink. <laughs> it totally has... <laughs> he just, like, literally stopped working. <laughs> okay, anyway. Well, I'm drinking this new stuff uh, from Hop Larkin Boulder. Uh, it's called Hop Tea. And as the name implies, it's cans of tea with hops in it. But it's non-alcoholic, but it is carbonated. So I'd say it's actually... Is it a, a win, you would say, for the non-alcoholic drinking establishment? So I wholly expected it to be terrible. And I was shocked that I actually quite like it. The hops do taste different than they do in a beer, though. They are still bitter and they're there, but they actually kind of taste more like hop smell before you brew with them. So it's a smell that I'm very, uh, very partial to. Yeah. But it is different than drinking like an IPA or whatnot. But uh, yeah, right now I'm drinking the green tea one that's made with mo- mosaic hops, which I think might be my favorite of them. Nice. So good. I mean, it's good that I can still drink something that makes me feel like I'm drinking with everyone else, <laughs> even though it's non-alcoholic. It like makes you feel like you're part of it. Yeah. Part of the whole fun of drinking culture. Yeah, I my understand. only my only complaints are it's not super cheap. But yeah. it's it's also hard to find. It's mostly like co-ops and whatnot. So I'm really hoping it catches on so I can find it in more places and so it doesn't disappear. But I'm totally into it, so it's nice to nice to have something fun to drink. Exactly. And uh and I have my rum. So we're we're all good. And we are actually recording this on Valentine's Day. Yes, happy Valentine's Day for all of you who love candy and stuff. Which isn't necessarily a holiday that people associate with horror, but that would be selling it short because if you want horror on Valentine's Day, there are several amazing movies. There's some good ones. There's uh, My Bloody Valentine and then there's the remake. They're both good, but the original one's the best. For sure. And then there's just Valentine, which came out when we were in high school, which is a total teen scream with, uh, it's got, man, what names are it? Denise, Denise Richards, Richards. And it's got, oh my God, I keep forgetting your name. That She's... one chick who was the pregnant girl on... Sugar and Spice. Oh, it's got that girl too, but no, yeah. it has that one that one girl who was pregnant in um, Knocked Up. Oh, Elizabeth, no, I'm so off. And it's also got the guy from Angel who looks weird. Oh, yeah. I never saw that show, although I never saw Buffy either, so obviously I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I do, but I never saw it. But anyway, I mean, is it a good film? No. But is it totally, totally worth watching? Absolutely. Good kills, good fun stuff. So anyway, (laughs) embrace horror on Valentine's Day. And hopefully you'll think about it when you listen to this episode that Valentine's Day can be a pretty scary time. Exactly. As long as you want it to be. And uh, speaking of which, I have a Valentine's Day themed horror story for you. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I specifically... uh, 
looked for this. Like, I wasn't sure what I was looking for, but I knew I wanted it associated with Valentine's Day. So this is the St. Valentine's Day Massacre slash Hauntings. Oh, okay. So I know the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, oh, but I don't know, I anything, figured, I don't know okay. anything about the hauntings. I'm, I used, I went through a phase where I got obsessed <laughs> with um, gangster, American gangster yep. era during, yep, yep, yep. you know, Prohibition and everything. So pretty into that, but I know nothing about the hauntings. So I'm pretty excited. Well, actually, I'm pretty excited about that, too, because I'm not going to lie. I had no idea about it. Like, I... I never went through that phase. I think I went from, like, super aggro teenager to, like, party girl in our early 20s and then, like, just what I am now. So, um, yeah. Well, at the very least, when we rewatch Oscar, which is a hilarious film that everyone should see, there's a joke at the beginning about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, there's a scene when his accountant comes up to him and says, I came oh. to speak. <laughs> that fell on you so if we were doing the drinking game, it'd mean I'd have to drink. Yeah, oh my god, it's been a while since a pad fell on us. But, but it's but not anyway. just a pad; it's like it's like this giant cardboard. With it's twelve pads 12... on a giant board that came at me. <laughs> twelve pads came. That would have been twelve shots. By the Even way. the house is haunted on Valentine's Day. <laughs> but yeah, no. In in the movie Oscar, his accountant comes to him and says, "Well, I came to speak to you about it the other day," and he said, "I don't remember that." And he goes. You were working. It was St. Valentine's Day. And oh, then, my God. And Sylvester Sloan just starts laughing, goes, oh, yeah. Oh, that is terrible. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I actually, well, that went over my head. I just thought, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was a sex joke. Like, oh, yeah, I was uh, working on, I don't know. <laughs> nope, nope. All right, this is exciting. So a lot of okay. our listeners probably don't know about it. So I'm going to play dumb. And I'll just let you tell that part of the story. Okay, I'll, I'll let you tell, yes, let me tell the story. But also, you know, if you have other facts that I'm not saying, please. Ah, it's a horror podcast. We got to get through <laughs> this to get to the horror. True, 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 true. Okay, so obviously this took place on February 14th in 1929. Around 1030 a.m. is like the estimated time frame. Seven people involved with the Northside gang in Chicago were brutally murdered. Hmm. The four assailants were never convicted because they were never officially captured. And this is an important distinction because you'll find out why. Did did you mention, I, I might have just missed it, this was in Chicago. Chicago, like yes. Like the heart of American gangster Chicago, era. Illinois. Scruff McGruff. Just kidding, I have no Shy idea. town. Shy town. <laughs> yeah, Scruff McGruff is there. I still even, uh, I, yeah. I, think, I think I remember... Scruff McGruff's song, it goes, he sang it so you would know the address to send your letter to. Yes. Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. <laughs> I never remembered it. I remember specifically like running to get a pen and pencil because my dumb ass would not remember those numbers. And then at the end, he would just like, help me take a bite out of crime. And I wanted to help, but I couldn't. I could I, never. I loved the ads. They were so cool. I mean, he was a dog in like a detective coat. He just looked awesome. I just want to know how many kids like wrote not having any important information to to give would just be like, I'll help you scruff McGruff or something, because that's something I would have done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Anyway, yes, yeah, Chicago. And at the time, there were rival gangs between the Irish and the Italians for control in organized crime during Prohibition. Now, for those of you who are not either from the U.S. or know a lot about U.S. history, Prohibition took place between 1920 and 1933. The United States decided to literally prohibit the sale of distribution and like consumption of alcohol of at any capacity. 
This was a ban that was placed nationwide in an effort to control the rise of alcoholism and alcohol-based crimes that were occurring at the time. That was an amendment to the Constitution. It was literally in the Constitution. Yeah, absolutely. So It uh, did not go well. (laughs) Long story short, it did not work. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, crime seemed to only become more organized. Mm -hmm. So it really just... It really dirtied it up. I mean, alcohol was going to exist, and now it was just bad. Bad news. Which brings me to the rival gangs. The murder occurred at the garage located on 2122 North Clark Street in Lincoln Park. Witnesses saw two men dressed as police officers and two men wearing suits, ties, an overcoat, and a hat. Basically, your standard sharp-looking gang member attire. (laughs) They exited the building after multiple shots were heard. So that's like what witnesses saw. And uh, when police arrived at the scene, they found seven people shot to death. Investigators and forensic analysts believe that the whole thing went down like this. First, the two police officers went into the warehouse, making the gangsters believe it was a raid. The cops, quote unquote, lined the seven men along a brick wall and their backs towards them. So the gangsters were facing the wall. This way, they wouldn't see the other two guys come in with their Mm. Thompson submachine guns, a.k.a. Tommy Guns, a.k.a. the Chicago typewriter, (laughs) (laughs) a.k.a. the Chicago piano. No joke. Those are like just some cute nicknames. Chicago Uh, typewriter. I love it. (laughs) I love it, too, in a horrifying kind of way. It was also called the trench broom, but that was more... uh, Associated with the fact that it was originally designed for World War One at the time, but for clearing out trenches, exactly. Um, so that's a totally is, different story. When when you have a full on Thompson machine gun with a the gangster, I, the iconic gangster version like has a barrel clip. drum, yeah, and a, a drum clip, and it'll hold a lot more ammo, so you can just keep shooting and everything like that. I think it is probably the sexiest looking gun in the history Ooh. of guns. Well, it's Valentine's Day. It's got to be sexy. <laughs> yeah, we got to think about romantic. Like, yeah. if, if I were to date a gun, <laughs> it would be a tie <laughs> I bet that was like a Cosmo quiz at some point. So you would have been round clip drum gun. I like how I could even talk about my favorite gun. I don't even own a gun, but I'm like, that's my favorite gun. <laughs> I only want to own that one. I have yet to discover. No eyes for other guns. I have to discover my fetish gun. <laughs> I, I don't know yet. I'm still looking. Um, so anyway, yes, the the Chicago typewriter. Now, all seven men that were lined up against the wall were obviously executed without warning. So I feel like that's such a horrifying thing because they were there. They're like, oh, yes, it's just like a booze raid. We've done this before. And then without knowing, they thought they were just going to get arrested, but they certainly were not. Right, right. Now, this is the cool part. When I say cool, like, as in very clever, in my opinion. (laughs) After the four men finished shooting everyone, the two police officers escorted the two regular dressed men in handcuffs. The intent was to make it look like the police had arrested the assailants that caused the gunshots, because at that point, they knew that people would be looking in their direction. Okay. And this also prevented them from calling the police, because the police was already there. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. So that was kind of very clever, I think. The only reason the bodies were eventually discovered was because one of the men that was killed had their dog tied up in the alleyway. The dog was barking for hours, and finally a woman that lived in a building upstairs grew concerned and wanted to make sure the dog was okay. She noticed that the dog was barking towards the warehouse, but she was a little cautious and kind of scared to investigate by herself, so she asked a neighbor to go with her. Unfortunately for them, that's when they found the gruesome sight. 
The police were then called and arrived what would be estimated about three hours after the incident. The victims were all in some way associated with the Northside gang that was led by George Bugs Moran. So Bugs was kind of his nickname. Five of them were actual members, one of which was second in command, Albert Kakalek. I don't know his name, but his alias was James Clark, which is the important part. This is the only name you'll have to remember. So, but there's going to be more coming up. Watch out. (laughs) (laughs) There was also Adam Hayer, the gang's bookkeeper and business manager, Albert Weinshank, who managed Moran's cleaning and dyeing operations, and gang enforcers Frank Gusenberg and Peter Gusenberg. Gusenberg? I don't know. I'm not sure. The other victims, John May and Reinhard Schwimmer, were not official gang members, but they were affiliated with through business transaction, and also they just like hanging out together, so they were just friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you want to come here for uh, a, for some a business? <laughs> We got to go downtown to do some business. I was like, I like business. Let's business. (laughs) (laughs) Now, all seven did die from their injuries, but one of them, Frank Gusenberg, uh, which was one of the enforcers, was still alive when he was found. He was rushed to the hospital and doctors were able to, to stabilize him long enough for detectives to question him. Frank has sustained 14 bullet wounds. Like... That's a lot. And he was alive. That's a hell of a lot of words per minute, if you yeah. ask me. <laughs> That's a typewriter for you. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, my God. It was a typo, I swear. A typo. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, anyway, the police asked Frank, who shot you? His reply was, <laughs> your no. Your mother. No. <laughs> your mama. Oh, classic Chicago. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, he said, no one shot me. Then <laughs> I fell on some bullets. Then he died. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not funny. Like, it's really not. But it's just like the whole scenario is so ridiculous. <sighs> Basically, uh, Frankie is no rat is what we're so learning here. we're talking honor amongst thieves hardcore 100%, here. 100%. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. So good old Frankie, he never gave any information, so they kind of lost uh, a lead there. So, real quick, you know, yeah, we're I know we're laughing and, and playing right. jokes about something that is actually very serious. Right. The one thing I can say is, you can see the crime scene photos of mm-hmm. this online. It's horrifying. And they are horrifying. I don't recommend. I don't think. Unless that's something you have a particular, unless you know you have the stomach for it and that's something you look for. I mean, for. Let, me, let me put it this way. It is black and white, at least the ones that I looked at. Yeah. And so... As far as, like, a lot of the true crime shows that I watched, this isn't, like, the most horrific scene you'll, you'll come across. But at the same time... It's not if you're, if you're not prepared, just don't look at it's it. It's dead bodies. Right. So, I mean, it's not something anyone should... The first time's always the worst. Mm-hmm. Please don't make this be your first time. Oh, trust me. In every single article I had to, like, come across, it was... They the have same. the pictures. <laughs> every single time. So. For some reason, they're like, old-timey death is okay. Yeah, it's, it's old enough. I mean, we don't care anymore, apparently. So, yeah. Anyway... It was suspected that Al Capone was the one who ordered the hit. The intention was to kill Bugs Moran, the leader of the North Side Gang, but um, obviously he wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, the last straw for this, like the reason why this was even ordered in the first place, was because Moran had interfered and hijacked on a big alcohol shipment of whiskey that was uh, coming through on the river. Mm-hmm. And Capone was like, oh, no, you didn't. Now, it's believed that Al Capone had set up a fake transaction for a crate 
of high-end whiskey, which would have allured Moran and other high-ups in command for this transaction. So his intention was to actually like take down a lot of important people. And you know what? It almost worked because uh, Moran was going to be at the warehouse, except Moran had left his house late. When he and his driver arrived at the warehouse, they actually noticed the two police officers and the two other men arrive in a Cadillac. And they bolted. Well, yeah. So like at first they were like, oh shit, what's going on? So Moran waited for a while and he actually hid in a doorway in the alleyway. And he noticed the two police officers go in and they're like, no, no, no. This is too like, well, obviously it's dangerous. We can't go in there. Took down the Cadillac's license plate and then bolted. So he actually got away. Now, I don't know how important it was that he took down the license plate. I don't know who he was going to tell. I think it was like for his own information. So just in case like he ever saw that car again. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, here's the investigation part. Eventually, the Cadillac was found at a burning garage. The car had been partially disassembled and damaged from the fire, but they were able to get the engine number, which led them to an original dealership. And through that, they were able to track down the owner of the car. But that was also a dead end because it, it seemed like it was a false information Damn, talk thing. about covering your tracks. It really, really was. I mean, and this is back in the day. Yeah. When going through all this paperwork and everything and hoping it's even accurate... Man, that's a thankless job. It really is. Like, how do you even It's not verify like a little click, or... click, click on the computer no. and you got it. Nope. Oh, man. Hardcore. This would have been rough. Investigators did find the owner of the garage, who used to be a former St. Louis gangster, who had ties with Capone. Like, they were, like, friendly with each other. But there was nothing else that could justify some sort of conviction. So they yeah. kind of, like, dropped it, obviously, you know. Also, minutes after the massacre, a truck driver accidentally ran into a police car a block away from the warehouse. The truck driver gave a description to the police, which included an important detail. The cop had a missing tooth, and the witnesses that saw the cops enter the warehouse also mentioned the missing tooth part. Now, police officers knew a guy, like a specific gangster that they had been looking at for a long time, called Fred Burke, a former Egan's rat gangster. And they were, like, convinced it was him. But, like, you can't convict someone because someone mm-hmm. had a missing tooth. So, again, it's, like, so frustrating. Circumstantial, Exactly. I, guess. I think it's circumstantial. SVU, thank you for teaching me all these I mean, let's also terms. be fair. In 1929, the number of people missing a tooth is going to be a lot higher in America than it is today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it's like, yeah, so I have a missing tooth. Um So later that year in December, police would find themselves in a car chase with Burke, so the missing tooth guy, that would end in a gun shootout and killing another officer. Burke would actually escape, and it wasn't until modern science, specifically forensic ballistics, that we would be able to match the bullets from the car chase to the massacre. So they were able to, like, determine that it It was, like, the same gun, at least. And it's very, like obvious at that point with the missing tooth situation and and whatnot so yeah now there was another detail about burke that i forgot to mention so he had also committed other robberies and he was also dressed as a police officer so he had the uniform they were pretty i mean you know what i'm saying like so this this was already his thing anyway uh police also had other suspects of capone's gang but when they went to go arrest them they found out that Capone already had them killed for different reasons. So <laughs> it's so ridiculous. You're like, oh, okay, I can't, I can't even get this justice here. 
Eventually, the story unfolds as time goes on, like former gang members and their wives reveal their knowledge on the incident. So it kind of becomes very clear who were the assailants. But, Absolutely. you know, we, we no one was actually convicted because by that point, either they were dead or on the run, whatever. Um, so let's get into the hauntings. <laughs> now, I'm super curious to know if the hauntings are of where everyone got shot or if these people who are dead are haunting different areas or different people. I'm just curious. Ooh, I... I I wish that was the case. So, like, here's the thing. It's more, I don't know. I guess it's a little bit of both. We'll see. Now, the building was still there until 1967, and it was eventually torn down for the sole reason that the city was attempting to clear out any infamous gangster sites. <laughs> like, they were just trying to get rid of evidence that, like, we had a shitty past. Of Man, that's unfortunate because now that that's, like, a huge tourist attraction. Historians care. It really is. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some things that come back. So let me let me get into that. The bricks leave the, the historical site, but they're still they're still around. My mom's seen some of them, I think. Oh really? Yeah, she went to the the mob museum in Vegas, and uh, I think they have yep. some. I think they have some bricks with like bolts in them. Okay, we're gonna get to that. I promise. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the brick wall, all with bullets and blood, was purchased by a Canadian businessman by the name of George Pate. A couple of years later, in 1971, so he bought them like in 1967 and held on to them, and he was trying to do like this tour thing where he's like, I have like the bricks. You guys want to see and pay for it. But I guess that wasn't, like, enough. So he decided to open a bar slash restaurant to display his love for 1920s gangster or other, at that era, kind of, like, memorabilia. The Prohibition memorabilia. era. Kind yeah. Of so he was kind of, like, I guess kind of like a speakeasy bar. I'm not sure. So the reason the bricks were important, in case people are, like, kind of confused, is when these people were shot, they were shot near a wall and yeah, the wall they were was the filled. Wall. Yeah, they were against the wall. Yeah, and so the the bricks had, you know, the gangster's blood on it. It had mm-hmm. bullet casings and, and shells in it and everything. Yep. So, I mean, it was literally where they died as opposed to just a random brick. So it is kind of, for all of you who follow horror stuff, that makes it a significant item. It really does. In terms of creepiness. Yeah. <laughs> at, at, at the very least, it's gruesome. But yeah, yeah there now there is things associated with that. I mean, it's creepy enough. I would never want to own one. I'm just putting it that way. Well, see, that's because you've been doing this show long enough. <laughs> I've told you. I now know. <laughs> you now know. So anyway, like the bar restaurant that I was talking about, it was called the Banjo Palace. It's located in, I think it, oh gosh, I think it was Vancouver. Okay. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't write that down. Don't worry about that. Now, he his intention was to, like I said, create this, like, 1920s vibe. Now, where do you think he decided to display this wall? Bathroom. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, when, oh, the fact that you asked, I was like, it's got to be really tacky. It, it so was. Oh, it gets worse, let me tell you. So, the guy, his name was, um, where's his name? George Pate. And so he installed the wall in the men's bathroom behind the urinal. (laughs) And not only that, but the owner also decided to use plexiglass in front of it as protection because it was encouraged for men to try to aim the bullet holes. Oh, my God. I'm not even kidding you. I feel so weird saying that because it's so you know, disgusting. We were, we were laughing earlier. Now that's disrespectful. This, like, if I knew I was about to be shot and then someone said right before I was like, by the way, 
men are going to try to pee on these bullet holes for fun in the future. Yeah. I don't know how my brain would <laughs> contemplate that. Yeah, it's it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Now, the bar was only open for five years and eventually closed down. So, you know, you, <laughs> at least it wasn't peed on that long. Five years, maybe. But anyway, Pate did make sure to take the wall with him. So he had it for a while. However, uh, at some point... without that pee wall. I can't leave that pee wall. But I don't know if it was because of hard times or whatever reason, but he did eventually decide to auction off some of the bricks. And a lot of them did end up on at the mom museum. So the one that you're talking about mm-hmm. that your mom went to. So they're absolutely there now. But at the time, there were private owners of like specific bricks. And depending on... Uh, as awful as it sounds, whether it had a bullet hole or blood on it, it was more valuable. Absolutely. See, that's like the one reason I really want to go to Vegas is to see the Mob Museum. Oh, I would I would love to go there. That sounds awesome. Now, as for the gangster history obsessed individuals, they would eventually become the perfect target. It turns out that buying bricks with blood and human flesh embedded inside could possibly retain some sort of negative energy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, with that said, let me tell you what horrible things they experienced. People began to feel like they were getting a series of bad luck. Like, as soon as they got the brick... There was this association, like mm. something shifted. So I don't know. I, and it's so strange because a lot of them said that they were skeptics before. Like they didn't even think anything about it. It was just something that dawned on them after like bad stuff started happening to them. Sure, sure. Some people began to feel chronic illness and even people were getting in car accidents or that where they were severely hurt and they were just bad times. Now, the brick owners would also try to get rid of them themselves by reselling them or donating them to the museum. Because I think at that point, the museum was trying to gain, get as much as, much of them as they could. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, as the rumor also spread that the bricks were, like, haunted or cursed or whatever, people were rejecting them. Like, no one wanted them. Now, the mob museum, like I said, now has them. So, that means that the Mob Museum has been having some hauntings of their own. Oh, really? Yeah. Apparently, that is a thing. So, the hauntings are always following these bricks. Yes, exactly. And that's, I find, like, I don't know, like, really interesting. It's just, like, it's so, I don't know, like, ingrained in them. I know that sounds weird, but, yeah. You know my favorite shot glass, that heavy-duty glass one? Oh, yeah. It that does... was from the Mob Museum. The, the yeah. thing has washed off. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it said the mob museum on it back in the day. That's right. I do remember that. Now, the staff members have claimed to experience hearing loud, like, banging sounds and even loud gunshots. Mm. They would also hear men moaning in agony or hearing what sounds like bodies falling on the ground. Like, like all of this chaos at the same time. Of course, there would be no one around when this occurred <laughs> so they would think like do we call the police like what's going on and they would go investigate and even on camera there was just nothing so i don't know pretty cool now if we go back to chicago where the warehouse once stood you'll find that people have re- reported the exact same hauntings there so you got the the gunshots, gunshots the moaning everything but and, the building's gone. But the building is gone. Exactly. Mm. It's now... So today... Now it's like a Sonic. <laughs> I wish. No. <laughs> you're, like, you're like eating your hamburger and you just hear gunshots and you're just like... 
is different. Over here, we just call it the Gibson one. I don't even know if they have Sonic in Chicago. They they have like Hardee's. Oh, well, that's like the, the Carl's Jr., right? Or Steak and Shake. Uh, yeah, the Hardee's is the Carl's Jr. up there. They have Steak and Shake and A&W does up it, there. I don't even know Sonic. Yeah, it goes past Texas. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. So, but today, the parking lot is a parking lot for a nursing home. There is a one article that I read where they said they called it a psychic imprint, which I found, like, that's exactly the term I was thinking oh, about. Oh, yeah, we've, we've heard about that. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, yeah, duh. And so... A moment being relived. R- kind of relived, but echoing. it's... Yeah, because, like, their spirits and their ghosts probably aren't there, but there's something about the energy that is stored there. Like, it's just... It's constantly... I don't know, causing some sort of chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, again, in that same area in Chicago, dogs that walk by the parking lot will act erratic. Either they'll bark in the direction where the old warehouse used to be, or they'll cower in fear. But they'll, like, have some sort of extreme feeling. Interesting. Yeah. People also experience these intense emotions when they either get close to the property, they would also feel intense fear or panic. And that's kind of like their own words, too. They're like, I just, I couldn't even get close to it. Or when I did, I felt like I needed to leave immediately. Totally. There were reports of strange lights and mist forming where the bricks once stood. So that could, that could actually be the ghost manifesting if they're in that area. Interesting. I don't know if that happened in the mom museum. I never saw any like articles discussing that. It was more like the noise, something associated with the bricks. But the ghost situation, that seems specific to Chicago. So the bricks were imprinted, but the spirits seemed to be unrest. Hanging, yeah. Hanging around there. Yeah. I saw this one video where they said that in Chicago, the realty where this warehouse used to stand, it's totally kind of vacant. I mean, it's a parking lot, but it could be a structure. But unfortunately, um, the city has said that there will never be a structure built on there. I don't know if it's because they're trying to conserve it or I don't I don't know what the deal is, but they said it's probably going to be a parking lot for the rest of time. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. But that doesn't mean like things have not occurred. Yeah. Can you just imagine back before like the city was built? You see like this like beautiful grassland or hill or whatnot. It's like one day this will be a parking lot. (laughs) And it will stay that way for eternity. And you're just like, oh, man, now I'm all depressed. Uh, oh, my God. Hate right? parking lots so much. I mean, it's a small parking lot, so it's not... <laughs> it's it's not even good? <laughs> it could be, like, a really nice vertical building, but no, it's a parking <laughs> lot. Now, with that said, it doesn't mean... I think... I don't know what the prevention was for. Maybe they were conserving, and they didn't want to, like, bring attention to the building or the area of the massacre. They're trying to hold on to, like, these old ideas that they were glorifying uh gangster culture and things like that but anyway so the owner of the building that's right next door to the site says that he often experienced poltergeist activity and it's often off the walls that is facing where the warehouse was Mm. so it just seems like there's like this explosion of energy coming from that area that people are like experiencing what do you think it is about the deaths that make it i mean yes we know it was a lot of people who died at in a singular moment but do you think it has to do with like a betrayal the trick that makes it so different that like because i mean there have been a lot of situations where a lot of people have died before like what do you think is specific about this moment that would lend it to being maybe it's like also confusion because they didn't even know they were going to die it's just like this very super like left field kind of moment for them and then they're kind of maybe wandering 
or they're just like super pissed you know they're gangsters they're like i need my revenge i need to mm-hmm. like get back at them and that's how it was Who do you knows? have any do you have any evidence of like mediums coming there and just being like <laughs> you know only only to say that you know mediums have gone to the site and they say of course there's energy here and they and they talk about how like it's definitely haunted and there's unrest souls on the site now, when they talk about the bricks and everything, the only thing that I was able to gather is that whole, like, imprint mentality. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, there is negative energy, but not necessarily um, that something specifically is holding on to it. Like, oh, okay. you know, like, you didn't buy a brick and bought a ghost. Like, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just negative energy. You get a ghost. You get a ghost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't like that. So, so here's another strange fact that I found while my research it was said that Al Capone began to claim that he was being haunted by a ghost named James Clark. Now, if you remember earlier, I said, there's only one name you need to remember. And it was James Clark. Yep. Now, one of the victims that was murdered, it was his alias name, but his name was James Clark during the Valentine's Massacre. Now, while incarcerated in the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, he began to complain that there was someone else in the cell with him. Being such a high-profile criminal... With unlimited means, Capone had a luxurious cell, at least in comparison to the standard living conditions. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, he should have been fine, but almost every night, other prisoners in neighboring cells would often hear Capone scream in fear, saying things like, leave me alone, Jimmy. (laughs) Yeah, other times people would hear him talk to himself or like what would seem like he was talking to someone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a distinction. Like when you talk to yourself, it's like one way. But when you're talking to they someone do else, they sound different. Yeah, because you're kind of waiting for a response, and mm-hmm. then you and then you talk. So that's kind of what they meant. Now, real quick, the uh, Eastern State Penitentiary is considered to be one of the most haunted places in the world, which I plan to cover in the future. I just felt like I couldn't just bypass the fact uh, that I totally. mentioned it and then like not say it was haunted, but it totally is. Uh, anyway, so after serving his time, Capone was released from prison which he also hoped the ghost would stay behind. But unfortunately for him, Jimmy <laughs> followed him anyway. <laughs> I mean, if it made it all the way to prison. Yeah, exactly. He found him there. It's got means. Right. Yeah, he, he knows. He's got a Cadillac. He, he's good. So because of this, Capone decided to hire a medium to get the ghost to the other side. So uh-huh. like he, he was like, <laughs> can you get rid of this spirit? It did not work. But <laughs> but he did try, so it's it's okay. The medium probably hated this guy. He's like, I'm not going to really He do just anything. like actually cursed him with a demon and said, he's like, you know, whatever. So Capone would again be convicted in another crime for another crime and go back to prison. But this time he was actually shipped off to Alcatraz in San Francisco. Also a super haunted place. So we'll keep that and in I've mind. I've been there, so I can't wait till. I know. Maybe I should do that story because I've been there. Right. I have never been there. Yeah, so. Alcatraz, it's the only thing I liked doing in San Francisco. So, Ooh, yeah. dis. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, if you, if you, there's no one in San Francisco listening to this podcast because they make too much money to yeah, listen to like, our podcast. I need podcast. my high end podcast. <laughs> yeah, they want the rich ones. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my gosh. Um, so anyway, yeah, so he was in Alcatraz, and there, unfortunately, he said that, like, Jimmy was still haunting him, so that hasn't changed, but Capone's behavior also became more and more strange, and he, he and to the point where he was eventually examined, like, they mm-hmm. thought there was something wrong with him. It was discovered that he had syphilis. Yes, he did. Yes, he did, and he apparently knew about it for a long time. Remember, 
but didn't want to be treated. Yeah. Back in the day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 1920s day. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Just remember, kids, flies spread disease, so keep yours closed. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, I was taking a drink. Oh, my God. That is sound advice, Jason. Yeah, we all Thank know you. that Al Capone was using his power to get freaky with a lot of the ladies. And back then, when condom use wasn't super frequent, uh, you're, you're just going to get... Right. And this would have been a time that there was absolutely no uh, cure for it. It was pre-antibiotics. Pre-antibiotics, yep. But actually, when it, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, and I am not a doctor, when syphilis starts affecting the brain, I think it's in such a late stage that even nowadays, I don't think you can... I think There's you'll still no, die from it or something You can't like that. reverse the damage it's oh, done okay, at that point. Okay. So you I can't, know it's bad you once can stop it affects it. your brain. Yeah, like from what I understand, you can stop it, but like the damage that like the erosion that it's causing your brains or even other or- organs, it depends on where it's spread. So the assumption here is that there's a chance he was just going crazy. Now, that's kind of why I brought it up, because once you have neurological problems, which I think it's called neuro neurosyphilis or something like that, I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, you're 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 good. But you're, pretty, you're done. But I would just assume that maybe when that happens, it'd be pretty quick. So in his defense, for such a long period of time, maybe he was seeing stuff. Yeah, exactly. And he just happened to also have syphilis. Well, they always say that the closer you are to death, the more likely you are to experience mm. some sort of paranormal event or like have be able to see or be more sensitive to it. Totally. I mean, that was basically like. I mean, we see it as a trope in a lot of horror movies, but this is kind of the reason why it's a trope is because a lot of people do believe this and like, you know, experience it themselves. So anyway, um, I don't know if the syphilis allowed him to finally be haunted by literally his own demons, like ghosts that were trying to like attack him or whatever. But yeah, he 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 was pretty sick in his later years. And so, you know, whatever. But that is my story. All right. So (laughs) two. So. So two things we have to do. We have to go to the mom museum and look at the haunted bricks. Obviously. I'm all about doing that. And if for some reason we ever find ourselves in San Francisco, I'll take you to Alcatraz and you can see Capone's cell. Oh, that's right. And that's really cool. Yeah. You, they also have other important cells about the guys who escaped and everything, but we'll do that story a different time. I wonder if they have it at the other one, the one in, in Philadelphia. Well, it depends because I think the one in Alcatraz... Uh, you know, I could be wrong about the history. I think it may have been shut down so other people didn't, like, ruin his cell or anything like that, whereas the one in Pennsylvania may have had, like, 50 inmates and, afterwards And it was. It was, like, pretty crowded. And yeah. I don't know if he had this... I think he had the good treatment probably in both, but I definitely know it was at the Eastern State Penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Jails are just creepy because no one has a good time in jail. So it's just a genuinely <laughs> right. terrible place. So when it's haunted, you're like, oh, of course it is. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And But see, here's the thing. I think it was like, I'm not even joking. I have to really dig into my past memory of all ghost hunting uh, shows that I watch. But I think the original like Ghost Hunters show that I absolutely love, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they went to the Eastern State Penitentiary and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think they had actual like footage, like this really cool, convincing thing that it was such a big deal at the time. I'm hoping it's the right prison that I'm thinking of because, you know, they go to multiple ones, but I think this is the one. And it like blew my mind. I think that was the moment. I think it was like in ninth grade or some shit like that when it first like aired and I was like, this is happening. Ghosts are real. 
I'm convinced. And I don't know. I was like super over the moon about it. So it sounds like we need to go to Scranton and then we need to go (laughs) to this penitentiary. Priorities. But yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I I love it. Man, this whole thing has made me just want to watch some more gangster movies. I think we should watch Oscar and I need to like revisit that Mm -hmm. joke. (laughs) And the untouchables. Yeah. Mm, I just love gangster movies. Also, uh, oh God, what's the one with the Ray Liotta? And now I keep forgetting. Like I'm totally. Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Yeah. That was like probably the first gangster movie I ever saw. Yeah. Just so good. Yeah. Just, I dig it. Awesome story. I think think we should take our, our regularly scheduled break and we'll be back (laughs) in just a few for my story. Yes. Okay, guys, we're back. I have my rum. Chase has another story, and I hope that... And I've got another hop oh, tea and... oh. for your information. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You're right, you're right, right. You have your hop tea. Different flavor, but same benefit Ooh. of carbonation, hops, and no no alcohol that I miss so much. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the flavor? Um, They call it the Citra Bomb one. So it's oh, okay. this one's yeah, white yeah. tea with Citra hops. Last one was black tea with mosaic hops. Yeah, I actually tried that one. I really liked it. But the mosaic one is, like, way better, I think. You know, I think they're both great. They're slightly different, but... Variety. The, the benefit this one has of the other is less caffeine, which I really like. Ah, and um, it is later in the day, so this is beneficial. And I don't drink much caffeine, so I'm right. going to be wired. But, <laughs> and I drink caffeine, and I'm like, eh, I'm going to take a nap. It's fine. So it's time for my story. I actually discovered the subject of today's story while researching last week's episode, which, if you have listened to it or haven't listened to it as a refresher, uh, was about Spring-Heeled Jack, a cryptid that haunted England during the 19th century. So from about 1830 till the late 1800s, it was common for supernatural occurrences, mysterious figures, and unexplained attacks to be associated with Spring-Heeled Jack. He was sort of a boogeyman figure, But one specific mystery that was blamed by some to have been caused by Spring-Heeled Jack caught my eye. And that's how I discovered this other story and went with it. So, in general, it isn't Spring-Heeled Jack, but some people said it was, So, but it just led me to this. Okay. Today, I'm going to be talking about the Devil's Footprints. I'm sorry, what? It's called the Devil's Footprints. Yeah. Now, I also discovered there is a specific geological site where they have something called the Devil's Footprints. I'm not talking about that. That's like oh, up okay. in Canada. I'm talking about something that happened in England in the 1800s. So. Oh, lovely. Is this uh, related? I know you said like that brought you to the story. Uh, I'm pretty sure you'll let me know. We'll get to it. I promise. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm jumping the gun again. Mm-hmm. But anyway, go on, go on. The night of February 8th, 1855, brought a considerable amount of snow to the region of Devon, a region located in southwestern England. The locals woke up to a fresh white blanket covering the ground. Only there was something else that seemed quite odd. In more than 30 areas throughout the region, people reported seeing strange hoofmark tracks throughout the snow. Like bipedal? The estimates of the total length of all the tracks reached from between 40 miles all the way up to 100 miles in length. Holy fuck. That's 60 to 160 kilometers to all our metric friends out there. (laughs) That's an absurd distance to travel in the hours during a single night. God Like, fresh snow, 100 miles of tracks. That's, I mean, how, yeah. And without it being covered. So, like, if it was constantly snowing, Uh 
Yikes. But what makes these tracks even more baffling is that they cross terrain that would seem impassable. The tracks would be seen on both sides of a river, over houses, <gasps> haystacks, and even up to and through drain pipes too small for a normal human Ew. to fit through. It's like a shapeshifter or something. Ew. An article from Bell's Life in Sydney, all the way down in Australia, but you know how close England and Australia would be? <laughs> So close. So the article came out a few months after the incident, described the scene quite well. Quote, On the following morning, the inhabitants of the above towns were surprised at discovering the footmarks of some strange and mysterious animal endowed with the power of ubiquity, as the footprints were to be seen in all kinds of unaccountable places, on the tops of houses and narrow walls, in gardens and courtyards that were enclosed by high walls and palings, as well as open fields. The superstitious go so far as to believe that they are marks of Satan himself and that great excitement has been produced among all classes may be judged from the fact that the subject has been decanted from the pulpit. Descanted, or yeah, descanted from the pulpit, end quote. Understandably, the people in the area were both mystified, but terrified. Mm -hmm. It wasn't long before the notion that they were nefarious in nature took hold and the name The Devil's Footprints became forever associated with this incident. Most of the tracks appeared to look like a strange hoof. Some described it as having similarities to that of a donkey, while others suggested it had a more cloven hoof shape, which if you know anything about yeah. it, the cloven hoof is supposed to look kind of demonic. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. As someone who knows fuck all about tracking and animal hooves, I really have no say in the matter. There were some drawings and measurements taken in some of the print areas, and I can concur that they look like hooves <laughs> and not feet. They were around four inches long and three inches across, or 10 centimeters by seven and a half centimeters. The prints were often between eight and 16 inches apart, or 20 to 40 centimeters. The print pattern suggested, and this is, this, this is to answer your question earlier, I just knew yeah. it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> the print pattern suggested that it was single file and bipedal, oh, meaning no. they appeared to be that of a two-legged animal and not from a donkey, or, as some suggested, or any other four-legged animals. Yeah. Although there is no direct evidence of it, many of the claims were that the footprints went straight through the snow to the ground and that they appeared to have been burned there. Oh my god. What? Oh so like it it almost like it melted down into Well, the... went straight through the snow. Yeah. You know, cuz usually when you step on snow it compacts. Right. Which means you saw the hoof print go all the way through the snow to the ground and there was no <sighs> compacted snow below it. Oh yeah. no. I'm I'm concerned now as a citizen. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> so when I was like researching Spring Hill Jack, I'm like, uh some people claim that he was the cause of the devil's footprints. I'm like the hell's the devil's footprints? I looked right. at that. And I'm like, oh, that's a story. Yeah, that's a whole nother animal. Because like, you don't even know if it really is still Springheeled Jack, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, did. it could be, but this sounds like really. I don't know. It's a little different yeah. because as we discover Springheeled Jack, some people think it was just one or a small group of of people who were playing pranks that had devil masks on, but they were yeah. dressed in nice suits. Fine I mean, attire. They, like, you, they didn't like, have hooves. They had shoes. Why so, do I feel like Spring Hill Jack was like this whole thing with these kind of high, super like aristocratic young men who were like 
I don't engaged know. in evil tomfoolery. But also because like it was part of a haze or like some sort of like mm-hmm. club or I don't know. I just I feel like it's too it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. It's totally different from this, I think. Compounding the people's unease was the fact that many of the tracks would stop at the doors to people's houses. Mm-mm. So you'd see all these, you know, a mile of hoof prints around, and then all of a sudden it stops at your front door, which either means it's super creepy or somehow this also is a weird prank. So but see, I don't it's think hard it's a because prank. if you do it, you have to step backwards perfectly in your and fake how... hoof prints, which is really hard. And you can't do it's already amazing that they might have been able to go 100 miles in one night, but to be able to do right. any sorts of backtracking, eh, it's just. So did it feel like those houses or wherever it stopped, were they like marked? Did anything come from that? No, but. Many of the people who lived in those homes refused to leave their houses for quite some time afterwards because uh, they were scared. Yeah. <laughs> what made this even more mysterious is that the tracks never appeared again, despite subsequent snowfalls in the following days. Wow. You would think that if it were some regular animal or something obvious, the tracks would repeat at some point the next day or even, you know, just a while later, like, oh, these are normal tracks. Right. But they never came back. At least... Not in that region. Lord. And to be fair, it wasn't the only time something like this had been seen. There are multiple stories of this type of event happening before, and they are similarly mysterious. In 1840, the mysterious tracks appeared in the center of Scotland. Like, literally, if you look at Scotland's map and you just put the center, <laughs> it's right there. Okay, so like actual center, center. Like it was not, described, not as, where, it was described like... as where three places meet that I can't pronounce. Ah, Perfect. So we're not, I'm not going to try. <laughs> the event was documented in the March 14th issue of The Times. Okay. Quote, the print of the foot in every respect is an exact resemblance of that of a foal of considerable size, with this small difference, perhaps, that the sole seems a little longer or not so round, but as no one has had the good fortune as yet to have obtained a glimpse of the creature, nothing more can be said of its shape or dimension only it has been remarked from the depth of which the feet sunk into the snow that it must have been a beast of considerable size. It has also been observed that its walk is not like that of any generality of quadrupeds and that it is more like the bounding or limping of a hare when not scared Mm. or pursued. It is not in one locality only that its tracks have been met with, but throughout a range of at least 12 miles. So they said in that that it seemed bipedal, you know, like a hare that's like limping, but also that it had considerable size because of how deep it was going in the snow, which is something. So they said, okay, hoof prints kind of like we've seen, but a little bit different, but it seems to be two-legged and obviously huge. It just sounds like they're picking characteristics from a lot of animals, which is like the most demonic thing I've heard all day. Because (laughs) that's exactly... I try to hear at least three demonic things a day. (laughs) This one takes the cake. This one wins. This one wins. Um, Yeah. So, like, yeah, obviously, this is kind of like a bastardization of of what a creature would be on on our planet. And so it's just like this weird manifestation. And disgustingness and creepy this is like a really creepy story (laughs) that same year on the other side of the world another set of mysterious tracks were found explorer james clark ross and his crew landed on the 
Oh, man. Kurgolin Islands, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I've never heard of these islands before. Okay. These islands, also known as the Desolation Islands, are in the <laughs> southern Indian Ocean near Antarctica. I've heard of these. And when I say they are in the middle of nowhere, I fucking uh-huh. mean it. So, like, between Aus- uh, uh, Australia and Africa... Like, if you drew a line between those two, like the tip, the mm-hmm. southern tip of Africa and Australia, drew a line, and then went halfway in between, and then just continued south towards Antarctica, yeah. you'll find this selection of islands, middle of nowhere. Super habitable. <laughs> These are cold and inhospitable places. And apparently, after landing on the island, Ross and his crew discovered a set of prints in fresh snow. Ugh. They had the same size and shape of those that would be found in Devon 15 years later, and they appeared to be that of a two-legged creature of notable weight. The problem is that whether or not it's a two-legged or four-legged, there are no known hooved animals on the island. Oh, God. That is just so disgusting. Like, ugh. Even the Wikipedia article claims insects are the primary animal on the islands, save for types of sea-bearing things like penguins, seabirds, shit like that. Right. Rabbits do exist, but they weren't introduced in the to the islands until 1874, many years later. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, totally not the same. And only on some of the islands. So the crew tried to follow the prints, but they lost them in an area where the snowfall was minimal. I can't tell if it's because oh, okay. it had coverage, because I doubt it was trees, because all the uh, pictures I saw of these islands, I don't really see a but lot of trees. But it could be trees. like ice or like uh, some sort of like rock, other uh, rock formation. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> But one thing I did find out while looking at these islands, completely off top, but maybe you guys will find it interesting. Uh, the reason a lot of people who went, uh, people on boats loved going there, especially like in the 1800s, is mm-hmm. a kind of vegetable grows there that grows nowhere else. It's a very specific kind of cabbage. I was wondering and why so, they were there. So they would eat this cabbage because, and it had like a lot of stuff that helped fight scurvy. Oh, had like okay. a lot of important vitamin vitamins C and or yeah, vi- had vitamin C and everything like this, and so it was just something that they ate. And all of a sudden, like the fat guy and me's like, I wonder what that tastes like. <laughs> but yeah, I'm you like, saw how this, can like, I cook this? <laughs> but you saw this like barren wasteland, it looked like the Mount Doom area of uh, Lord of the Rings, and all of a sudden you see these patches of green, like oh right. yeah, this is cabbage. And so the islands where these rabbits do exist now the cabbage right. is pretty much gone because the rabbits have eaten the shit well out of it. yeah they're but, kind of invasive yeah um, but the islands where there's no rabbits the cabbage is still there anyway sorry for that off topic thing no i think that's that's very i i had no idea i thought like i'm like are they on the way to something like why are they even even there like i don't know well they said explore so i have a feeling these, oh, these, that's right. these okay. islands had been discovered i think in the 1700s But, you know, sometimes people just want to like, oh, let's see what else we can find here. Because they didn't have like GPS or anything like this. Like maybe there's another island right around here. Let's map this out. Like let's figure it out. Yeah. So back to the proclaimed Devil's Footprints in Devon where we started the story. Right. As we established in last week's episode, people were just eager to be scared of things during this time. (laughs) I feel like, oh, man, it's Sunday. I'm not scared of something today. Let's find something. Right. They wanted to be terrified, and first it was Spring-Heeled Jack, and now it was the devil visiting England. And then there were those that suggested that these footprints were made by Spring-Heeled Jack. Maybe they were the same, which at least kind of makes sense considering how many of the prints were on rooftops, because if you remember, mm-hmm. Spring-Heeled Jack was all about jumping on rooftops and doing all these crazy things, like going over things. creepy Santa Claus. It's okay. Yeah. And he was described as looking devilish and everything like this, yeah. kind of creepy. So all this led to another level of widespread panic with the locals. One early explanation that brought relief to people 
was that it was a kangaroo that escaped a nearby zoo. <laughs> now, mm. think about it for a second. A kangaroo in England, very exotic animal, very weird. It would have it tracks been, yeah. people aren't familiar with. And you mentioned before, Australia and the UK at this point were BFFs. very connected. Like, total BFFs. Yeah, it's, it, you know, no longer a prison colony. Yeah. All that good stuff. They're like, we're good, right? And Australia's like, yeah, go fuck yourself. But right. <laughs> So this explanation was given by a Reverend G.M. Musgrave, or Musgrave. However, many years later, it was proven that the Reverend made up this story in an effort to calm his congregation down and guide them away from believing Satan was walking around outside. Mm -hmm. I found two different sources for this. One claimed he admitted it while alive, and the other suggested that the documents... The documents were actually found in the 1950s that he had written that said, I made this up. Oh, wow. Okay. Because essentially, all the people that he was preaching to were terrified, saying the devil was here, the devil's here. So he made up this lie so that they stopped thinking that because he thought that this was a level of panic and weird. Right. So he, he, he wanted to, like, just completely... Well, I mean, like, I don't know, because what if them panicking and all this was bringing this things too. like maybe he's like if we just stop thinking about it and we pretend it doesn't exist maybe absolutely we can, we can calm down absolutely yeah. and if you talk to some people today who know about the devil's footprints a lot of them will still claim it was a kangaroo if you look at a kangaroo's footprint or it's hoofprint, long it does not look anything like these. I completely agree. And I feel like at this point in time, people would absolutely know. Like, it's more commonly yeah, known. Yeah, people wouldn't have known what a kangaroo's footprint looked like at the right. time. That said, though, if you ever do look at a kangaroo's footprint online, it is terrifying looking. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, I would say I would say it looks like a dinosaur footprent for the most part. What, but it's elongated. It's so very it's long than, and it's, it's not sharp a hoof. at the ends. It's not a hoof. No. Yeah. They are freaky looking. Yeah. So what are these mysterious footprints oh my god do you have the answer no and I'm i don't freaking out. this okay. is unanswered <laughs> but we're going to talk about what people have postulated okay good good the number of reports from the 1855 sighting are staggering and they extend through a rather massive area i think it's important to remember that all this took place in the mid 19th century so word travels considerably slower than it does today for all these prints to appear in a single night would make this being a prank or a hoax a considerably laborious undertaking and would have required considerable planning. Although it should be mentioned that since they are footprints in the snow and this was before photography was widespread. I mean, photography existed, right. but I mean, most of these people might not have ever even seen a photograph, but they were called like types and made out of metal at the time. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Oh, okay. So it's hard to say exactly how they looked. We only have descriptions and crude sketches of them. So, you know, I'd really like to be able to say this is exactly what it looked like, but it's like some guy who doesn't draw drew a sketch and then well, people I mean, described it. Yeah, you can only do what you can. I mean, you can't just yeah. grab your phone, which, by the way, is still unreliable. Exactly. So, <laughs> But because we're missing ph photographic evidence, this could suggest that several different sets of tracks that were not related were assumed to be the same. In mm. fact, I'm sure that happened at least a few times where there was a normal animal's hoof print or something that other people, they heard about all this. And like, I saw footprints or hoof prints too. Yeah. But I'm betting, I mean, when we're talking a hundred miles of it, that's not what was completely happening. No, there was no way all the animals got together it's and just, did this in one night. Well, I mean, if it was a migration thing, then it would have been more than one and pair. They, yeah, they like, see it every year. They yeah. see it, it. all wouldn't have happened would have on pattern. a single day. Yeah, exactly. these people. These people were like studying this at the time. They would have. They would have caught on. So all this is suggesting that it's probably not just animals, and that if it's a hoax 
or whatnot, that's also, these things are just so unrealistic because of how they would have had to be performed, especially right. since no one took grand claim of it in the 150 years, 170 <laughs> years since. And that's the thing, because, like, a lot of people do want, not, I don't know, I don't know if that means, like, fame or whatever, but, like, or even think, like, there would be other people coming up with saying, like, oh, I know what it is, it's it's this or that. As far as I know, or what you're telling me, no one had any idea. Like, or on a even deathbed, even even something. A great 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 grandson's like my great 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 grandfather did that, or something like that. Yeah, but I, I guess I was just talking about like medians too. Like, oh, did yeah. they ever come out of the woodwork and and said, mm -hmm. you know, I know what's happening? Or no, a lot of people have said, oh, they're the results of badgers jumping mice and actually limping. Rabbits and everything, but I mean, we're talking a hundred miles. Yeah, overnight. That's crazy. And it's like a consistent. Yeah, well, I mean, and apparently the, the the tracks weren't straight lines; they were kind of weird. Right. So anyway, there was one explanation they thought was interesting, worth talking about, and that was. Bear with me. Oh my God, the reflection of Jupiter. <laughs> oh no! But you were on the right track. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that it was a balloon. Oh wait, what? So, isn't it amazing how balloons are being blamed for unexplained things, even when it has nothing to do with aliens um, or UFOs? I'm starting to see a pattern here. So, this theory proposed by Jeffrey Household claims that a hot air balloon was accidentally released and it was dragging mooring ropes with metal shackles on the end. Mm. And this would explain the bizarre prints. Maybe the bobbing. Too, and they were bumping up and down while right. this balloon was moving. And it would explain the extreme lengths of travel, you know, 100 miles. Sure. As well as how it would have continued over houses and other obstacles. Okay, I'm not going to lie. It's it's not that dumb. A man interviewed by Household Claims his grandfather worked at the Devon Dockyard at the time when the balloon was accidentally launched. The reason it never was never reported was because the balloon caused significant damage to various properties and oh. they didn't want to get in trouble. Fair. However, the biggest argument against the balloon theory is how they didn't get caught or tangled on any plants or mm -hmm. any trees despite traveling 100 miles low enough to the ground to still drag ropes along. So, And also, I was going to argue... Maintaining an altitude. And I was going to say, like, the same pattern, because if it was bobbing, there would... There would inevitably be dragging there, and not or some sort individual of, prints and, right. they, and at some point yeah there would be ropes being dragged so right. it would have been a very unclean tracks yeah i mean at some point it would get a rhythm as long as the plane was even but it doesn't sound like it was absolutely yeah. and even if we believe that theory it wouldn't explain the other sightings in the other years. It wouldn't explain Scotland or the other islands. Right, yeah. Especially the islands because there shouldn't be a fucking balloon there. There shouldn't be anything out there. No, like, you can't get that back. It's in the middle of nowhere. So we can say at this moment, I have never seen an explanation. There's ne no generally accepted explanation. There's no generally accepted explanation. This right. is a mystery. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little mad you covered this because this would have been something I would have so enjoyed getting into. But also, I'm so fucking happy that you told it to me because mm -hmm. I had no idea. Oh, my God. And I have one little tidbit to add. Oh, yes. Tell me more. In 2009, similar looking prints were seen once again. 2009? Yeah, a few years ago. Okay. A few years ago? Yeah. <laughs> the other day. 13 years ago. <laughs> Similar-looking prints were seen once again in the area of Devon. Okay, so what is up ones? with Devon? The prints were similar shape and size. Mm -hmm. However, the prints did not extend as far as those from 1855, nor did anyone else have the chance to witness them as well. 
it could just be a normal animal being associated with a legendary horror story. Yeah. Or perhaps the devil has come back. <gasps> oh my god. And so how that's my story. I, I love it. I just have a question. So like how far did those uh, footprints extend to did they give like a range? I or couldn't anything? get information. Okay. And the fact that it was just like one woman reported it, it, it seems like it could just be <laughs> one person saying, Hey, let's do this because apparently that was blamed for the renewed interest in the devil's footprint. Okay. I, but at I the very c- least, it's a very it's it is interesting to know that people are still in their back of their minds thinking about mm-hmm. it. Like it, it hasn't stopped. I mean, the other ones I talked about had a lot of witnesses. They were documented. These were big deal. They were in newspapers and everything. Yeah. This one right here in 2009, it's just interesting. But I'm totally willing to believe it has nothing to do but with that. But the lore continues. But you know, the like, lore continues. Yeah. Just like Spring Hill Jack apparently does. <laughs> right. So that's totally my story. I love it. I This is the, my favorite. Yeah. So One of my I, favorites I know so far. it wasn't Valentine's theme. It, it could be Valentine. It could be like, you know, some stalker. Like, but who's I, stalking you? Valentine's, they love you. But I do think it's interesting that you mentioned the, you know, like... Uh, seeing Venus in the sky, and I was talking about the balloon for UFO. Even though today's story wasn't a UFO story, I do want to give a quick heads up to any of you listeners that enjoy that sort of thing and actually listen to my UFO stories when I cover them on the show, Mm -hmm. and, you know, don't just turn it off when Lily's done talking. (laughs) Because I'm so fucking entertaining, apparently. (laughs) So, I studied computer animation and digital art for my degree, and even though I don't work in that field, although I hope to one day... It means I follow a lot of that stuff online. And one YouTube channel I follow is called Corridor Digital. They are a group of visual effects artists who do lots of amazing things and have a variety of different types of videos. Recently, they unexpectedly started analyzing alleged UFO videos. Yes! Oh my god, I read about this slightly. I read the title. I didn't actually look at the article. So imagine how convenient (laughs) that was for me, being obsessed with visual effects and covering a lot of UFO stuff on this show. So these guys are experts when it comes to how both cameras function and what digital and practical effects do look like. The problems with them, the things that give them away, the tells. And that means that they have been looking at UFO videos and very realistically and believably debunking them. They even did a video that I talked about on a previous episode that I thought was pretty Mm. mysterious. They did it and debunked it. In, in right. episode, and it was awesome. Like yeah, they yeah, did yeah. such a good job at it. Which, by the way, it I don't know I don't know what to say about that. Like it scares me at the same time, but also it doesn't explain the things from the past. So, no, no, exactly. I mean, some but, things, especially a crappy photographs, really hard to debunk. Well, that, no, I just meant like video, even in the nineties, and yeah, like you know yeah. what I mean. But anyway, my point is, is that it just makes it that much harder to find things, the truth, or whatever. Anyway. I'm over here being like a believer, so whatever. (laughs) Just ignore me. I greatly appreciate this kind of work because I think we need to debunk all the fake stuff. So just like you said, that when we find something compelling and hard to debunk, it makes it better. I essentially think most of the stuff out there is totally fake. And I like that they are providing people the information to be able to look at them and go like, this is how you can tell it's And I do. And I do appreciate it. Like, I want to know if something's real. So if there's any way to like disprove it. I'm all about it. Like, I don't want to just jump on the wagon. Um, Even if you don't care about the UFO stuff, if any of you guys are visual effects junkies like me, the channel's totally worth listening to. So I just wanted to throw that in there because it's just absolutely fascinating. And I'm obviously not going to cover their debunks on on the show. So, But you should always, like, mention them at the very least to see if they have some sort of information or explanation. Because, like, I feel like people who have super, like, 
expertise, knowledge on this kind of technology, they'd be like, well, if it was happening today, this is how they would do it. But at the time, you know, to know the technology that was existing at the time, like how they would even explain it if there was even an explanation. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if that, any of that made sense. I'm I'm, no. all, I'm on my second rum cup, so cheers to you guys. Well, it made sense to me, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not drinking the boozy yet. Okay, so. good. As long as I'm coherent, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so anyway, I guess that was uh, our Valentine's Day episode, even though I'm pretty sure most people aren't even going to listen to it on Valentine's Day. Uh, still, though, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Valentine's Day to all you. Use it as a good reason to watch some... Really fun horror film. Yeah, we had two recommendations. I'm sure you have the time. Yeah. Within the week. I mean, they're just good all the year. You don't have to wait for Valentine's Day. They're great movies. Absolutely. So I think that brings our episode to a close. Yep, this is the end. (laughs) So thanks for joining us. And if you have any comments, questions, or personal scary stories you want to share, drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. We post episodes every weekend. And cheers if you were drinking along with us today. And for those of you listening to us because you had just too much fun last night and you're suffering today, don't worry because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye. Happy Valentine's Day.